chapter thirty four of the garys and their friends by frank webb this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty four murder will out the city clocks had just told out the hour of twelve the last omnibus had rumbled by and the silence without was broken only at rare intervals when some belated citizen passed by with hurried footsteps towards his home all was still in the house of mr stevens so quiet that the ticking of the large clock in the hall could be distinctly heard at the top of the stairway breaking the solemn stillness of the night with its monotonous click 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 in a richly furnished chamber overlooking the street a dim light was burning so dimly in fact that the emaciated form of mr stevens was scarcely discernible amidst the pillows and covering of the bed on which he was lying above him a brass head of curious workmanship held in its clenched teeth the canopy that overshadowed the bed and as the light occasionally flickered and brightened the curiously carved face seemed to light up with a sort of sardonic grin and the grating of the curtain rings as the sick man tossed from side to side in his bed would have suggested the idea that the odd supporter of the canopy was gnashing his brazen teeth at him on the wall immediately opposite the light hung a portrait of mrs stevens not the sharp hard face we once introduced to the reader but a smoother softer countenance yet a worn and melancholy one in its expression it looked as if the waves of grief had beaten upon it for a long succession of years until they had tempered down its harsher peculiarities giving a subdued appearance to the whole countenance there is twelve o'clock give me my drops again lizzie he remarked faintly at the sound of his voice lizzie emerged from behind the curtains and essayed to pour into a glass the proper quantity of medicine she was twice obliged to pour back into the phial what she had just emptied forth as the trembling of her hands caused her each time to drop too much at last having succeeded in getting the exact number of drops she handed him the glass the contents of which he eagerly drank there said he thank you now perhaps i may sleep i've not slept for two nights such has been my anxiety about that man nor you either my child i have kept you awake also you can sleep though without drops to-morrow when you are prepared to start wake me if i am asleep and let me speak to you before you go remember lizzie frighten him if you can tell him i'm ill myself that i can't survive this continued worriment and annoyance tell him moreover i'm not made of gold 
and will now be always giving i don't believe he is sick dying do you he asked looking into her face as though he did not anticipate an affirmative answer no father i don't think he is really ill i imagine it is another subterfuge to extract money don't distress yourself unnecessarily perhaps i may have some influence with him i had before you know yes yes dear you managed him very well that time very well said he stroking down her hair affectionately ay ay my child i could never have told you of that dreadful secret but when i found that you knew it all my heart experienced a sensible relief it was a selfish pleasure i know yet it eased me to share my secret the burden is not half so heavy now father would not your mind be easier still if you could be persuaded to make restitution to his children this wealth is valueless to us both you can never ask forgiveness for the sin whilst you cling thus tenaciously to its fruits tut tut no more of that said he impatiently i cannot do it without betraying myself if i gave it back to them what would become of you and george and how am i to stop the clamours of that cormorant no no it is useless to talk of it i cannot do it there would be still enough left for george after restoring them their own and you might give this man my share of what is left i would rather work day and night said she determinedly than ever touch a penny of the money thus accumulated i thought all that over long ago but i dare not do it it might cause inquiries to be made that might result to my disadvantage no i cannot do that sit down and let us be quiet now mr stevens lay back upon his pillow and for a moment seemed to doze then starting up again suddenly he asked have you told george about it have you ever confided anything to him no papa answered she soothingly not a breath i've been secret as the grave that's right rejoined he that is right i love george but not as i do you he only comes to me when he wants money he is not like you darling you take care of and nurse your poor old father has he come in yet not yet he never gets home until almost morning and is then often fearfully intoxicated the old man shook his head and muttered the sins of the fathers shall what is that did you hear that noise hush lizzie stood quietly by him for a short while and then walked on tiptoe to the door it is george said she after peering into the gloom of their entry he has admitted himself with his night key the shuffling sound of footsteps was now quite audible upon the stairway and soon the bloated face of mr stevens's hopeful son was seen at the chamber door in society and places where this young gentleman desired to maintain a respectable character he could be as well behaved as choice in his language and as courteous as anybody but at home where he was well known and where he did not care to place himself under any restraint he was a very different individual let me in liz said he in a thick voice 
i want the old man to fork over some money i'm cleaned out no no go to bed george she answered coaxingly and talked to him about it in the morning i'm coming in now said he determinedly and besides i want to tell you something about that nigger gary tell us in the morning persisted lizzie no i'm going to tell you now rejoined he forcing his way into the room it's too good to keep till morning pick up that wick let a fellow see if you are all alive lizzie raised the wick of the lamp in accordance with his desire and then sat down with an expression of annoyance and vexation on her countenance george threw himself into an easy chair and began i saw that white nigger gary to-night he was in company with a gentleman at that the assurance of that fellow is perfectly incomprehensible he was drinking at the bar of the hotel and as it is no secret why he and miss bates parted i enlightened the company on the subject of his antecedents he threatened to challenge me ho ho fight with a nigger that is too good a joke and laughing heartily the young ruffian leant back in his chair i want some money to-morrow dad continued he i say old gentleman wasn't it a lucky go that darkie's father was put out of the way so nicely eh we've been living in clover ever since haven't we how dare you address me in that disrespectful manner go out of the room sir exclaimed mr stevens with a disturbed countenance come george go to bed urged his sister wearily let father sleep it is after twelve o'clock i'm going to wake the nurse and then retire myself george rose stupidly from his chair and followed his sister from the room on the stairway he grasped her arm rudely and said i don't understand how it is that you and the old man are so cursed thick all of a sudden you are thick as two thieves always whispering and talking together act fair liz don't persuade him to leave you all the money if you do we'll quarrel that's flat don't try and cousin him out of my share as well as your own you hear oh george rejoined she reproachfully i never had such an idea then what are you so much together for why is there so much whispering and writing and going off on journeys all alone what does it all mean eh it means nothing at all george you are not yourself to-night said she evasively you had better go to bed it is you that are not yourself he retorted what makes you look so pale and worried and why do you and the old man start if the door cracks as if the devil was after you what is the meaning of that asked he with a drunken leer you had better look out concluded he i'm watching you both and will find out all your secrets by and by learn all our secrets ah my brother thought she as he disappeared into his room you need not desire to have their fearful weight upon you or you will soon grow as anxious thin and pale as i am the next day at noon lizzie started on her journey after a short conference with her father night had settled upon her native city when she was driven through its straight and seemingly interminable thoroughfares the long straight rows of lamps the snowy steps the scrupulously clean streets the signs over the stores were like the faces of old acquaintances and at any other time would have caused agreeable recollections but the object of her visit preoccupied her mind to the exclusion of any other and more pleasant associations she ordered the coachman to take her to an obscure hotel and after having engaged a room she left her baggage and started in search of the residence of mccloskey 
she drew her veil down over her face very closely and walked quickly through the familiar streets until she arrived at the place indicated in his letter it was a small mean tenement in a by-street in which there were but one or two other houses the shutters were closed from the upper story to the lowest and the whole place wore an uninhabited appearance after knocking several times she was about to give up in despair when she discovered through the glass above the door the faint glimmer of a light and shortly after a female voice demanded from the inside who was there does mr mccloskey live here asked lizzie hearing a voice not more formidable than her own the person within partially opened the door and whilst shading with one hand the candle she held in the other gazed out upon the speaker does mr mccloskey live here repeated lizzie yes he does answered the woman in a weak voice but he's got the typers has the what inquired lizzie who did not exactly understand her got the typers got the fever you know the typhus fever said lizzie with a start then he is really sick really sick repeated the woman really sick well i should think he was why he's been a-raving and swearing awful for days he stormed and screamed so loud that the neighbors complained law they had to even shave his head is he any better asked lizzie with a sinking heart can i see him perhaps you can if you go to the hospital to-morrow but whether you'll find him living or dead is more than i can say i couldn't keep him here i wasn't able to stand him i've had the fever myself he took it from me you must come in continued the woman if you want to talk i'm afraid of catching cold and can't stand at the door maybe you're afraid of the fever she further observed as she saw lizzie hesitate on the doorstep oh no i'm not afraid of that answered lizzie quickly i'm not in the least afraid come in then reiterated the woman and i'll tell you all about it the woman looked harmless enough and lizzie hesitated no longer but followed her through the entry into a decently furnished room setting the candlestick upon the mantelpiece she offered her visitor a chair and then continued he came home this last time in an awful state before he left some one sent him a load of money and he did nothing but drink and gamble whilst it lasted i used to tell him that he ought to take care of his money and he'd snap his fingers and laugh he used to say that he owned the goose that laid the golden eggs and could have money whenever he wanted it well as i was saying he went and when he came back he had an awful attack of delirium tremens and then he took the typers oh law's mercy continued she holding up her bony hands how that critter raved he talked about killing people he did interrupted lizzie with a gesture of alarm and laying her hand upon her heart which beat fearfully did he mention any name the woman did not stop to answer this question but proceeded as if she had not been interrupted he was always going on about two orphans and a will and he used to curse and swear awfully about being obliged to keep something hid it was dreadful to listen to it would almost make your hair stand on end to hear him and he never mentioned names said lizzie inquiringly no that was so strange he never mentioned no names never he used to rave a great deal about two orphans and a will and he would ransack the bed and pull up the sheets and look under the pillows as if he thought it was there oh he acted very strange but never mentioned no names i used to think he had something in his trunk he was so very special about it he was better the day they took him off and the trunk went with him he would have it but since then he's had a dreadful relapse there's no knowing whether he is alive or dead i must go to the hospital said lizzie rising from her seat 
and greatly relieved to learn that nothing of importance had fallen from mccloskey during his delirium i shall go there as quickly as i can she observed walking to the door you'll not see him to-night if you do rejoined the woman are you a relation oh no answered lizzie my father is an acquaintance of his i learned that he was ill and came to inquire after him had the woman not been very indifferent or unobservant she would have noticed the striking difference between the manner and appearance of lizzie stevens and the class who generally came to see mccloskey she did not however appear to observe it nor did she manifest any curiosity greater than that evidenced by her inquiring if he was a relative lizzie walked with a lonely feeling through the quiet streets until she arrived at the porter's lodge of the hospital she pulled the bell with trembling hands and the door was opened by the little bald-headed man whose loquacity was once the reader will remember so painful to mrs ellis there was no perceptible change in his appearance and he manifestly took as warm an interest in frightful accidents as ever what is it what is it he asked eagerly as lizzie's pale face became visible in the bright light that shone from the inner office do you want a stretcher the rapidity with which he asked these questions and his eager manner quite startled her and she was for a moment unable to tell her errand speak up girl speak up do you want a stretcher is it burnt or run over can't you speak eh it now flashed upon lizzie that the venerable janitor was labouring under the impression that she had come to make application for the admission of a patient and she quickly answered oh no it is nothing of the kind i'm glad to say glad to say muttered the old man the eager expectant look disappearing from his face giving place to one of disappointment glad to say why there hasn't been an accident to-day and here you've gone and rung the bell and brought me here to the door for nothing what do you want then i wish to inquire after a person who is here what's his number gruffly inquired he that i cannot tell answered she his name is mccloskey i don't know anything about him couldn't tell you who he is unless i go all over the books to-night we don't know people by their names here come in the morning ten o'clock and don't never ring that bell again concluded he sharply unless you want a stretcher ringing the bell and no accident and grumbling at being disturbed for nothing he abruptly closed the door in lizzie's face anxious and discomfited she wandered back to her hotel and after drinking a weak cup of tea locked the room door and retired to bed there she lay tossing from side to side she could not sleep her anxiety respecting her father's safety her fears lest in the delirium of fever mccloskey should discover their secret kept her awake far into the night and the city clocks struck two ere she fell asleep when she awoke in the morning the sun was shining brightly into her room for a few moments she could not realize where she was but the events of the past night soon came freshly to her looking at her watch she remembered that she was to go to the hospital at ten and it was already half-past nine her wakefulness the previous night having caused her to sleep much later than her usual hour dressing herself in haste she hurried down to breakfast and after having eaten a slight meal ordered a carriage and drove to the hospital the janitor was in his accustomed seat and nodded smilingly to her as she entered he beckoned her to him and whispered i inquired about him mccloskey fever ward number twenty one died this morning at two o'clock in forty minutes dead echoed lizzie with a start of horror yes dead repeated he with a complacent look any relation of yours want an order for the body 
lizzie was so astonished by this intelligence that she could not reply and the old man continued mysteriously came to before he died wish he hadn't put me to a deal of trouble sent for a magistrate then for a minister had something on his mind couldn't die without telling it you know then there was oaths depositions so much trouble are you his relation want an order for the body oaths magistrate a confession no doubt thought lizzie her limbs trembled she was so overcome with terror that she could scarcely stand clinging to the railing of the desk by which she was standing for support she asked hesitatingly he had something to confess then the janitor looked at her for a few moments attentively and seemed to notice for the first time her ladylike appearance and manners a sort of reserve crept over him at the conclusion of his scrutiny for he made no answer to her question but simply asked with more formality than before are you a relation do you want an order for the body ere lizzie could answer his question a man plainly dressed with keen grey eyes that seemed to look restlessly about in every corner of the room came and stood beside the janitor he looked at lizzie from the bow on the top of her bonnet to the shoes on her feet it was not a stare it was more a hasty glance and yet she could not help feeling that he knew every item of her dress and could have described her exactly are you a relative of this person he asked in a clear sharp voice whilst his keen eyes seemed to be piercing her through in search of the truth no sir she answered faintly a friend then i presume continued he respectfully an acquaintance returned she the man paused for a few moments then taking out his watch looked at the time and hastened from the office this man possessed lizzie with a singular feeling of dread why she could not determine yet after he was gone she imagined those cold grey eyes were resting on her and bidding the old janitor who had grown reserved so suddenly good morning she sprang into her carriage as fast as her trembling limbs could carry her and ordered the coachman to drive back to the hotel father must fly soliloquized she the alarm will no doubt lend him energy i have heard of people who have not been able to leave their rooms for months becoming suddenly strong under the influence of terror we must be off to some place of concealment until we can learn whether he is compromised by that wretched man's confession lizzie quickly paid her bill packed her trunk and started for the station in hopes of catching the midday train for new york the driver did not spare his horses but at her request drove them at their utmost speed but in vain she arrived there only time enough to see the train move away and there standing on the platform looking at her with a sort of triumphant satisfaction was the man with the keen grey eyes stop stop cried she too late miss said a bystander sympathizingly just too late no other train for three hours three hours said lizzie despairingly three hours yet i must be patient there is no remedy and she endeavoured to banish her fears and occupy herself in reading the advertisements that were posted up about the station it was of no avail that keen-looking man with his piercing grey eyes haunted her and she could not avoid associating him in her thoughts with her father and mccloskey what was he doing on the train and why did he regard her with that look of triumphant satisfaction those were to her the three longest hours of her life wearily and impatiently she paced up and down the long saloon watching the hands of the clock as they appeared to almost creep over the dial-plate twenty times during those three hours did she compare the clock with her watch and found they moved on then varyingly together at last the hour for the departure of the train arrived 
and seated in the car she was soon flying at express speed on the way towards her home how much sooner does the other train arrive than we she asked of the conductor two hours and a half miss replied he courteously we gain a half hour upon them half hour that is something gained thought she i may reach my father before that man can he be what i suspect on they went thirty forty fifty miles an hour yet she thought it slow dashing by villages through meadows over bridges rattling screaming puffing on their way to the city of new york in due time they arrived at the ferry and after crossing the river were in the city itself lizzie took the first carriage that came to hand and was soon growing briskly through the streets towards her father's house the nearer she approached it the greater grew her fears a horrible presentiment that something awful had occurred grew stronger and stronger as she drew nearer home she tried to brave it off resist it crush it but it came back upon her each time with redoubled force on she went nearer and nearer every moment until at last she was in the avenue itself she gazed eagerly from the carriage and thought she observed one or two persons run across the street opposite her father's house it could not be she looked again yes there was a group beneath his window faster faster she cried frantically faster if you can the door was at last reached she sprang from the carriage and pressed through the little knot of people who were gathered on the pavement alas her presentiments were correct there lying on the pavement was the mangled form of her father who had desperately sprung from the balcony above to escape arrest from the man with the keen grey eyes who with the warrant in his hand stood contemplating the lifeless body father father cried lizzie in an anguished voice father speak once too late too late the spirit had passed away the murderer had rushed before a higher tribunal a mightier judge into the presence of one who tempers justice with mercy End of chapter thirty four